It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I'm joined for the roundtable by somebody I always enjoy talking to about football and a whole bunch of other stuff. And let's just say he's not shy about sharing his opinions either. He's the CEO of U Stadium and a huge Jets fan, so I'm really glad he was able to join the roundtable again this year. Mr. Nick Spano. Nick, what's going on, buddy? Scotty, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing well, although I wish that we could be talking about a Jets team that's coming off a winning season for once. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And I want to ask you about a variety of different topics involving the team and where they're going to go in 2020. But first, you were one of the biggest defenders of Adam Gase and the hiring with the New York Jets when it happened to the point where a lot of people were actually online fighting you. I don't mean like physically punching you, but they were coming at you as they are known to do because you're a bit of a lightning rod on Twitter. So what do you think? Are you still on the Gase train or have you seen some things you didn't like? Where are you at right now? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, um, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the negatives that I saw from Gase and explained even at the time when it was kind of down to the last three you know, the, the Gase-McCarthy rule um, candidacy at the end. Um, and the things that I liked about Adam Gase um, were far outweighed by the negatives that we all, you know, came to see in, in his first season and um, the stubbornness, the inability to kind of adjust when things go bad and just the all-around negative vibe you get from him um, really just kind of crushed all of the positives that you did see. And unfortunately, it was such a weird season, you know, starting from the week one, you know, meltdown. The second it seemed like C.J. Mosley went out of the game week one, it felt like all of the air was sucked out of the Jets season. You know, you're up 16, you know, 16 nothing. Even though Darnold didn't look great week one, you saw a lot of pretty rough throws. And then you go to find out that he had the mono after the game. And then C.J. Mosley went into like witness protection and we couldn't get a straight answer out of the Jets. And you know, for another eight-week period, things just kind of snowballed to the point where when they were 1-7, and seven, it felt like this was going to be the worst season in Jets history. And that's saying a lot because, you know, Jets history isn't exactly the prettiest, but it was at a point where everybody was just like, you know, 1-7, this could be a 1-15, a 2-14 season, go down as one of the worst ever, Geese could be 1-done. and done. And a lot of people, even myself included at that point, were like, well, you know, shit, like maybe it's for the best that this thing just kind of implodes and, you know, we move on from Gase. But it just seemed like everything was just so negative at that point. And you saw a lot from Gase that you just didn't like and you feared. And even me, who at the time when it was down to the three candidates, I preferred Gase over everybody else. Um, I didn't go into the off season 
you know, Juan Engase as the head coach. I was always a big uh, John Filippo guy, but he's not, you know, he was never a serious candidate. And, you know, so when it did boil down to that, I preferred somebody with the young, offensive-minded, um, you know, kind of jump on the bandwagon of where football was going, not to quote Chris Johnson, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it seemed, it seemed like he was kind of the, the candidate that you did – you know, because I liked Gase a few years ago in Denver before he went to Miami, and then he had that one good year in Miami, and I was sitting back, I was like, oh, shit, you know, this guy was the young offensive guy that I wanted a few years back, and now he's going to be, you know, neck and neck with Belichick in our own division and, you know, taking the loser Dolphins and turning them into a winner. But um, it seemed like, you know, the Adam Gase that you got for the majority of the time is who he is. He's not the the guy that you – you know, you see good things out of and you're like, well, maybe that's the guy, <clears throat> you know, unfortunately for everybody, it seems like he is the the bad Adam Gase, is the real Adam Gase. So, um, you know, you saw probably 80% of the year, you saw bad things from Gase. And then you see those 20% of the times where you're like, oh, this is a, you know, this is an interesting game. This is a pretty good game plan. They look good. Darnold looks comfortable. Maybe they're on to something. Um, then a weird injury would happen or Gates would kind of just go into a shell in the second half. And, you know, just a lack of adjustments, even the same thing you saw out of like Todd Bowles' teams a few years ago. And even into the Rex era was then inability to adjust in games when things go bad, you know, to really kind of you know stop that avalanche that's happening and pull yourself out of it like an Andy Reid and a Patrick Mahomes did last weekend. Um, you just never saw that from the Jets. Even if they went into the half with the lead and Darnold played a great first half, they would come out and shit the bed and just play like, you know, play scare the rest of the game and not want him to, you know, make a mistake and turn him into a Mark Sanchez. And that's, you know, the last thing you want to see from, you know, Sam Darnold and, you know, this current Jets team. The last thing you want to see is Sam Darnold's psyche take a hit, but you also don't want to see his physical health take a hit. And if he wants to stay healthy for the 2020 season, he should really talk to the folks over at Omax Health. Because Omax Health is all about making you feel better. If you're living with chronic pain, you know how terrible it is. Constant discomfort. It can keep you from exercising, sleeping, or even eating. So if you're dealing with chronic muscle and joint pain, then make sure you try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution, cryo-free CBD roll-on developed by Omax Health. It's non-prescription, it's an easy roll-on, it's 100% natural, and it works within 10 minutes. And here's the best part, as a listener of Play Like a Jet, you get a 20% off discount on a full bottle of cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on and free shipping. Discount also applies towards any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter promo code OVERTIME. That's omaxhealth, O-M-A-X health.com, promo code OVERTIME, and you'll get yourself 20% off cryo-freeze and anything site-wide. And while you certainly want to keep your body healthy, you definitely want to keep your home healthy, and that's why you want to go to Simply Safe. Every night, local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms. The vast majority of the time, they have no idea whether the alarm's real. Is there really a crime going on or not? All the alarm company can tell them is that the motion sensor went off. But Simply Safe gives you a much higher level of home security. If there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. 
You get comprehensive protection for your entire home, 24-7 monitoring by live security professionals. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash overtime and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know Play Like a Jet sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. Now, Nick, getting back to what you were talking about before with Gase and Darnold. Are you worried about Darnold and Gase? Do you think that Gase is not going to be a positive influence on Darnold the way that you originally thought? Yeah, I mean, that's my number one fear is, you know, we talked about this before the show, Scott. It's like back in the, uh, you know, the offseason 2018 or even 2017 and 18 college season, I was like the biggest fan of Sam Darnold. I said, this guy is the best quarterback I've seen you know, in college, since Luck, there's just so many things that you like about him, his, you know, ability to, to play within the short and intermediate passing game, his ability to connect on those deep throws down the field. He's mobile enough to the point where he can extend plays. and He's great throwing the ball on the run, and he's not going to take stupid hits or stupid sacks. And, you know, the, the turnovers were always there, you know, but it was more of a fumble, which you love that he kind of seemed to fix that in his first years in the NFL. Um, but the interceptions are always there. And you can live with that as long as, you know, he's not making any of these red zone interceptions or, you know, stupid interceptions when you're backed up inside your own 20. Those those to turnovers between the 30s or the 40s, like, they they shouldn't kill you. If you're a good team, you know, that happens to every quarterback. They're not supposed to just completely derail. And unfortunately, you know, with Adam Gase, it turned out like every interception, us as fans, it felt like, every interception was worth five interceptions for this guy and everything was just so highly focused on. Um, and then with Gase, it just felt as if when things went bad for Darnold or for the team, Gase wasn't the guy who was going to pull you out of it. And unfortunately, like Sam Darnold, who you love everything about, like you love that his quiet leadership, he's not the kind of rah-rah guy. Sometimes when things do go bad, you, you need a guy with that high intensity or someone to, to, to bring you back from like, you know, the pits and take you over and, and, and kind of put them on your back and lead things. And, you know, and, uh, you know, Gase isn't that kind of coach. You could just tell he kind of shells up when things go bad. And Darnold, unfortunately, isn't going to be that guy. And not yet. You know, he's still 22. Maybe he can turn into a guy like that, but he seems more of cut from the Eli Manning cloth. Um, but over time, you know, the hope is that the, his play will do that. You know, he's going to be able to you know, answer after a bad interception and put you, you know, bring you back in two scoring drives like you saw Mahomes do the other day. Um, he's just not there yet, and I'm not sure, you know, Gates is going to be the guy to get him to that point. What do you think about bringing in somebody to help Adam Gase? It seems like he would be resistant to that idea, but do you think that short of doing that, Dowell Loggins is going to be able to provide much of anything for him? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not going to provide anything for him. I mean, that's that's the problem. Um, and I think everybody as fans know it, you know, other people around the league know it, you know, the Jets can use a number of these available assistant coaches that are out there, you know, as we speak now on Tuesday, I don't even know the date, but January 14th, let's call it. But, you know, there's Todd Monken, who's not being renewed in Cleveland. There's uh, Bill Callahan, who was let go in Washington. Um, even again, Filippo, my guy from, uh, you know, Philly and Minnesota, and now Jacksonville let him go. But there's a number of guys who you would rather – you know, put your trust in over a Dowell Loggins being, you know, the sounding board for Adam Gates. But, um, <clears throat> you know, unfortunately it just doesn't seem like Gates is that kind of guy. His ego 
you know, gets the best of him. He feels that, you know, his way is the only way, you know, his way could be the best way, but it shouldn't be the only way. Like every coach has that ego. Every coach thinks he's the best, like he's the guy to get the job done. That's fine. You know, comes with the, uh, the territory of being a head coach, but the best ones aren't the ones who say, all right, it's the only way is my way. You know, Andy Reid, do you think he thinks he's better than Eric Bieniemy? Of course he does, but it's not the only way for Andy Reid. He lets Bieniemy get in there with Mahomes. He lets Bieniemy get in there with the offense. Philadelphia did it with, uh, with Filippo and Frank Wright. Like, it's not just him. So uh, for Adam Gase, he's not going to hire anybody on the offensive side of the ball who's a threat to his way of coaching or his style. You know, that, that's the problem, and that's where I wish, you know, Joe Douglas or the organization would step in and say, hey, we're not asking you to do this. We're doing this for you. So I just wish that, you know, Gates didn't have so much of the power over the staff that he currently does because someone like Bill Callahan could be so valuable for not only Darnold, but, you know, Le'Veon Bell, the offensive line, um, the receivers, and Gates himself. And, and Gates is just too, you know, it seems he's too stubborn to, to see that and to be able to just kind of take his hands off a little bit of the offense and let somebody who's more qualified handle it. Speaking of Joe Douglas, where are you at with him? What are your thoughts so far? To be honest, man, he's the uh, he's like the bright light who you kind of just you know who you just kind of hitch your wagon to. Like he's the guy who you know it's gone from Darnold and Gase. You know, you're like, well, now the Douglas is our savior, right? It's like he has to be who everybody says he is: this respected, hardworking, um, relationship building scout slash personnel guy who puts together a great you know, scouting department puts together a great front office um, and you hope, you know, I'm excited to see his offseason. I'm excited to see his draft, you know, just excited to hear about, you know, what he does in the offseason, different, you know, the East West Shrine game, apparently his hands are all over it already. Um, if you saw Tony Pauline reported that earlier, you know, a number of Jets scouts were there and it seemed like the Jets were the most uh, active team at the, at that bowl game. So I'm just excited to see him through this process. And um, I think, you know, I feel as good as I felt, you know, since we all loved Mike Tannenbaum in the start, right? You know, it was like Trader Mike, he would go get the big guy. He would, you know, be aggressive and he put together a good team for a few years. But, you know, since the end of his tenure to Idzik to McCagnan, I never felt good about any of those guys. Um, but I do feel good about Douglas. And I think, you know, if anybody can get it done, you know, for this current team, I think he is the guy to do it. Um, and it's so important in the front office and as a GM to have relationships around the league because, you know, he's been everywhere from Philly to Chicago to Baltimore, worked with some of the best guys, you know, has everybody says good things about him. You know, <clears throat> previously with McCagnan and Idzik, it was like, you know, this was one of those guys just behind the scenes kind of just doing scouting and really didn't build many relationships as you would like. So um, the Jets really weren't as, you know, active or not active in the point of making moves, but, you know, active in relationship building and, and, you know, we're able to kind of, you know, maneuver their way around the league with different relationships and stuff. So it's so important for your GM to be able to build relationships, be able to work with other teams. And you'll just see, you know, their ability, like <clears throat> with a Rex Hogan to work with Indianapolis, you know, Chal Alexander to work with Baltimore. Like those are some of the better teams and better front office and coaching staff around the league. So, you know, you hope you follow suit. My only worry is, Adam Gase again it's like how how in step are they um are they just like this combo this one-two combo throughout the entire tenure is Gase and 
him tied at the hip. I don't know. I don't believe so. Um, but it does worry me that, you know, there hasn't even been any talk of any improvement to the staff. It's as if, you know, everything is fine because of the six and two finish. And in 2020, it's just going to be, we're going to pick up from here and it's going to be, you know, a great, you know, we're on this great trajectory where, you know, everybody knows it's, it's not, you know, yeah, the record says what you are, but they, they didn't look like a six and two team. They look kind of more of like a, all right, maybe they're not as pitiful as they were at the beginning of the year, but they're still not anywhere where you feel like, all right, this team next year is going to be a contender. They could be, you know, they could make a few moves here and there. Gase, uh, Darnold couldn't make that bigger step than he did this year, and they could be a 9-7, why not? But you just don't feel very confident in that right now. And the lack of kind of realizing that the staff could use some changes or they could use some, you know, better coaches just kind of just doesn't give you a uh, – you know, paint a pretty picture of it yet. What do you think it's going to take for Darnold to make that leap in year number three? Because I think we both agree that he got better in year number two, but not mm-hmm. as much better as we were expecting. So what do you think it will take to get him over that hump in year three? Yeah, it's just so hard to like, it's so hard to judge anything you saw last year because of, you know, him getting sick. And, you know, he came back from modern and he missed three games four weeks with the bye, but you know, you talk to a lot of people that mono is, you know, mono is going to like hamper you the whole year. You know, it's not just going to be, you know, maybe not the whole year, but it's, it's more of like a six to eight to 10 week thing where, you know, he might not have been full strength or, you know, especially being a professional athlete until December and we didn't know, you know, so it's really just hard to kind of determine anything, but it's almost, it sucks because it's like last year was a lost year for him. Um, and he's still 22, and it's his first year in an offense. So this is his first time, you know, really in consecutive years with the same offense. So, you know, that's a little bit of a, you know, it, it kind of leaves you saying, okay, so maybe this offseason he'll get the full strength, he'll be healthy, he'll have the same coaches, the same offense. Like, maybe that's a positive. So, you know, that's what you hope is. And then it starts, obviously, with the, the personnel. The offensive line was a revolving door all year. I mean, they had, what, 12 different units the entire season? So, I mean, how can you have a 22-year-old quarterback who had this mononucleosis and he had the thumb injury, then the foot injury? So it was just like a snowball. Every you know, every week it seemed like something else was happening. So you really just couldn't get a true, you know, feeling for him or or any kind of like development out of him just because everything else around him was so, you know, such a whirlwind. But you know, you just want you want to start by giving him at least a competent offensive line. You don't really even need to say, well, hey, we need this. You know, Indianapolis Colts, Dallas Cowboys offensive line for this guy to look good. Like maybe Dak Prescott's the kind of a guy that you need to have everything be perfect around him for him to look good. I don't think Darnold's like that. I think Darnold can kind of, you know, get by with an average supporting cast because he didn't even have that at USC. And USC, the team was terrible. The coaching staff was terrible. And he was still able to be, you know, this great, you know, this great college quarterback. Yeah, he turned it over a lot, but that's just the kind of guy who he is. Um, I don't think that's really going to change much, and <clears throat> that's fine. You can get, you know, you can get by again, like with those interceptions. But, you know, I think you have to surround him with a little bit of, you know, a little bit of better talent. Maybe another receiver, obviously another receiver, but, um, you know, at least uh, something that looks like an NFL running attack and uh, running uh, an NFL offensive line. So I think it starts there, and then you just hope he's able to stay healthy get back to full strength, come into next season comfortable in the offense and just kind of be able to pick up from there because he was solid at the end of the year. He wasn't great. 
you know, you had that Buffalo game again wasn't pretty. You know, the Baltimore game, even though it didn't look great, might have been one of his better games. He made some great throws in that game, and he was able to do a lot with so little against the best team in football. But, you know, it's just uh, some of those games were, were, again, positive at the end of the year. So, you know, you kind of hope maybe a year of stability, um, some better pieces around him, especially on the offensive line, and then, you know, a receiver that can get open consistently. And um, it would be great to add, like, a Jerry Judy, a C.D. Lamb, you know, Obviously, Mark Cooper is more of a, you know, a pipe dream because you don't think he's going to shake free in Dallas. Um, and then B, why would he come here without him Gase with all of the, <laughs> the negativity around him? But, um, you know, I think Joe Douglas knows that Darnold needs protection and he needs somebody who can consistently get open and, you know, and make plays, make those contested catches, make those big catches on third down or more of a red zone threat. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. What other moves do you think that the Jets should make? There's internal and external moves they can make, and let's start internally. I know you've been pretty harsh on Robbie Anderson. What do you think about the idea of bringing him back? Brian Poole and Jordan Jenkins are the two other big names. Kelvin Beecham is somebody that they're going to have to consider whether or not they want to bring back. Where do you sit on the internal free agents? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that uh, is being played out now up there, and I'm sure they all have a pretty good idea of who they want to bring back and who they don't. I think, you know, Brian Poole, I think, should be back 100%. I thought he was awesome. Um, I thought the cornerback play last year wasn't even as bad as a lot of people said it was. Like, you know, Tremaine is a joke. Like, thank God he's gone, and um, Roberts turned into be another, you know, debacle. But, you know, you like what you saw out of – the rookie quarterback, bless Austin. And I thought Poole was awesome. So, you know, that's slot corner position. Now, if you have somebody who can play there and, you know, who is aggressive and who likes to come up and hit and, you know, who does everything that Greg Williams wants you to do, I think, you know, I trust them to do the right thing with Poole because I trust Greg Williams to kind of 
you know, put in the right word, if that makes any sense. So um, whatever they decide to do with Jordan Jenkins, I'm okay with, you know what I mean? Like he's kind of a guy who you really like to have, um, but at what cost, you know, is he going to be a 12, 13, $14 million a year guy, or is he more of an eight, nine, $10 million a year kind of guy. So, you know, if they decide this guy is more important than what we see, you know, setting the edge, making sure, you know, they don't get beat, you know, get, with a running quarterback or with the run um, off the edge. And he does some things that we don't see. And he's able to give you those six, eight, nine sacks a year. Maybe he's even better if they add another edge player. Um, you know, whatever they decide with him, I'm not breaking the bank to keep him. If they lose him because he gets $14 million a year or $12 million a year from somebody else, um, that's fine. And I'm almost in the same boat with Robbie Anderson. Like, I'm hard on Robbie Anderson because I don't think – you know, my thing is with the Jet with Jet fans, like myself included, like <clears throat> we're so like battered that we haven't had anything on offense to kind of hang our hat on outside of those fluky years with uh, Marshall and Decker. But like we haven't had a guy that's been like flashy or makes these big plays. And I think the, you know, the one play a game here or there um, or those like, you know, those deep bombs that he's able to catch and track the ball really well like we really just kind of like we take to those and just hold on to those and, and kind of blow them out of proportion. Whereas, you know, you see that from a lot of players around the NFL, honestly. So, you know, if he's going to hit the open market, which it seems like he is, and, and he's one of the better younger receivers, he's going to get paid by a team like the Raiders who's going to throw, you know, 14, again, 14, $15 million a year, $13 million a year at him. I think for the current, you know, the current way that the Jets are built, like it'd probably be better to look to improve you know, from Robbie Anderson, again, whether that's in the draft or get creative in a trade, um, you know, that's where I, I stand with them. But I, I think Beecham and Alex Lewis should be back because they're not going to be expensive. And, you know, Beecham's a great guy to have around. And let's be honest, like Beecham was, you know, when Beecham was out, this offensive line was awful, like like the worst you've ever seen. And then he came in and, you know, he, he at least brought some stability there. Obviously, it's you know, you're protecting his blind side and the left tackle is so important, but it just seemed like when Beecham was there, at least they were able to move the ball and look like a competent team. So I think, you know, even if you do draft an offensive tackle in the first round or, you know, sign somebody in free agency, Beecham can, can move over to the right side, or you can just play him another year at left tackle and let a young guy, if you draft somebody starting right tackle and, you know, you have at least a solid piece that, you know, you don't want to replace the whole offensive line. You just can't. It's not, it's not realistic. Like, you can't come and sign five new starters. Um, so if you bring back Beecham, you know, on a one- or two-year deal, same with Alex Lewis. And, you know, Lewis, <clears throat> you know, it goes into the goes into camp, you know, fighting for a, a job on the inside of the offensive line. Like, you know, you don't want to replace everybody because Shell is going to be gone. Uh, Winters is gone, obviously. And then the rest of these guys were kind of just Band-Aid pieces. So if you can come back and bring back at least – you know, Harrison has some depth or maybe even a starter if you can't improve. Same with Lewis and then Beecham is one of your tackles. I think like those other two or three spots you can look to improve on. There will be other means of trying to improve. The draft obviously is one of them, but so is external free agency. I know that you're big on mm-hmm. Brandon Scherf, so I assume that he's right at the top of your list of guys you'd like to see the Jets target. Who else is on your list? Yeah, I mean, if Sheriff and, and Yannick Ngakwe hit free agency, which is, you know, I mean, you can see it because both teams are kind of in a transition period and, you know, are they going to pay top dollar? Jacksonville can't just because of their 
their cap. But if they make some moves here and there because they see Ngakwe as such an important piece, you know, maybe they do tag him or bring him back. But it seems like he's gearing up to leave. I know, you know, I heard that he wants to hit free agency and sign elsewhere. So um, he would be at the top of my way top of my list. I think he's one of the better pass rushers, young pass rushers in the league. Um, and obviously where the Jets are picking 11th in the draft, they're kind of in no man's land for an edge player. So it doesn't seem like that's really the, you know, the target this, this draft season. But, um, you know, so he's somebody who I would sign. And there's actually a number of edge players in free agency that I think the Jets can get their hands on. And I actually talked to one of the, scou- uh, one of the scouts that I know, um, and he said that the Jets would love to add two edge players this free agency. Didn't tell me who they were you know, how aggressive they would be, but they want to at least upgrade that position in free agency. So, you know, you'd have to hope that Ngakwe's at the top of their list. But, um, you know, there's those two guys. And, you know, if you're going big game hunting like Sheriff and and Ngakwe, like that's where most of your money is going to go. I'm not sure Douglas is kind of cut from that cloth where, you know, he's going to spend heavy at the top of the market. Maybe he looks on lower tier free agents. But I think if you can add, you know, one or two, uh, offensive line pieces and free agency along with bringing back Beecham and Lewis, you go into the draft feeling good about, you know, Hey, maybe if the top two or three tackles don't drop, we can get the receiver at 11. Um, and again, like you're in no man's land for a top edge player, then you don't have to like go into the draft and force yourself to get one or overdraft one just because of the need there. Um, so I do think like offensive line and, and edge player, and probably a cornerback to look to add in free agency too. I wouldn't go after like a Byron Jones at the top level of uh, like free agency. I think there's a lot of uh, warning signs with with a guy like him. Um, so I kind of stand at middle two or three. Look what you look what Greg Williams was able to do with a bunch of no names and, and at corner. You know, give him at least a you know mid level NFL guy who's played with some experience. He can work wonders with them. So. You know, that's the, that's the thing with the defense, like in free agency and the draft, is I feel so good about, you know, giving, you know, getting Mosley back, um, giving, uh, hopefully, Quinn and Williams has a, you know, bigger impact, has more of a healthier summer offseason, is able to add some more muscle and kind of get, get in better shape this season. And, um, you know, year two, he makes a, a, a bigger leap. Um, and then Greg Williams is able to just get out, get, get some guys in here with some NFL experience and actually plug them in because we saw him work wonders with Arthur Millette and Bless Austin and James Burgess and Neville Hewitt. I mean, just the the line continues. So I would be as, as active as I could on the offensive line and, and edge as possible in free agency. Um, and if you see maybe somebody in a receiver, like, I don't know, random Geronimo Allison, I know is a free agent, you know, maybe bring him in to, to replace like, you know, be your fourth receiver. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with a Nunwell or Robbie Anderson, but you have Crowder, Allison, draft one of the top guys at the top of fringe because the, the classes is very weak this year. Going into the end of the season, I had the thought that the offensive line was so bad that Brandon Scherf had to be the number one target for the Jets in free agency if he hits the market. But the more I've yeah. thought about it, and I'm curious if you agree with this, Nick, because we were just talking about Scherf and Ngakwe as two of the guys that the Jets could potentially target. If Ngakwe hits the open market, I think he should be the number one target for a couple of reasons. Yeah. Number one, he's 24 years old. 
Number two, he doesn't have the injury history that Scherf has had. And number three, mm-hmm. and more importantly, I think when you look at this draft coming up, it seems much deeper in terms of offensive line than it is with edge rushers. So I've come around to the fact that even though in a vacuum I think offensive line is a much more pressing need for the Jets than edge rusher because I think you can get by with decent edge rushers, you look at what Preston Smith and Sedarius Smith did this past year and how huge their ads were, and you look at the fact that this draft seems to be pretty well stocked with offensive linemen, and if Ngakwe is there at 24 years old, I think that that should be priority number one. You agree with that? Yeah, I do. I, I definitely do. And I and I don't think it's like I don't think it's one or the other. I think you're able to um you know, Sheriff I think Sheriff especially later in the year this year the injuries were kind of like more of a protecting yourself going into free agency than they were a serious injury. So I'm not as concerned. I get it. It's always a concern, especially as these offensive linemen get older and you're gonna have to pay him, you know, top of the markets and, and unfortunately like we saw the last few days, the Imperial offensive line pool in the draft got weakened by some of the guys going back to school, um, Creed Humphrey in Oklahoma, Trey Smith in, in t- uh, Tennessee. So you saw that depth in this draft take a hit, but you're always going to be able to get interior offensive later in the draft, you know, than you were, were you know, than you will these top offensive tackle prospects. So I agree with you there. And I don't think guys like Ngakwe grow on trees. I think he's a young like ball hungry, like he loves getting the ball out. He's not just a sack guy. He's going to kind of bring you down for like a four-yard loss. He's going to force the ball out, and the Jets desperately need somebody like that. So I agree with you that Ngakwe is the best free agent available. You know, if you take away the quarterbacks, obviously, you know, these guys aren't going to hit. But if like, you know, I'd rather him than, let's say, another free agent like Clowney, Everson, Griffin, Dante Fowler. I know those guys are in free agency this year too, but – even like a Shaq Barrett who had this like one like magic year this season, I think you have to tread carefully with guys like that. So Ngakwe to me is a, you know, is as, as close to a home run free agency signing. Like if you're ever going to pay a guy, you know, like you did a Khalil Mack, I don't think he'll get that much, but I think you will get close. If you're ever going to play pay a guy like that, Ngakwe is the kind of guy that you want. Quiet, doesn't cause problems. Is a, is a, is ferocious on the edge. Gets the ball out. He's only going to be, I think, twenty five week one next year. So um, he's, he's easily my number one target. But Sheriff is close, just because I think he, he's an anchor on the offensive line. And you know, if you only just have to sign him, you don't have to trade or draft, or you know, you can kind of go into the draft more open because he will improve those other positions. So it's not just like you're improving that guard spot, but you know, Beecham would be better off if he's playing on the right side because of him. Jonathan Harrison, if he's playing center, will be better because of him. He's that veteran voice, um, tough mauler. You love that from your interior offensive lineman. He'll set the tone in the run game too. So, um, you know, he just seems like a perfect fit for this current Jets team. He seems like a, a Joe Douglas kind of player. <laughs> so, um, you know, he's, he's high up there for me too. So it's really 1A, 1B, but I do agree with you. That Ngakwe is definitely the number one target for me. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Last year around this time, you and I were exchanging text messages about Le'Veon Bell. And the year before that, it was about Kirk mm-hmm. Cousins. So perhaps this year we'll be texting each other about Yannick and Gakwe. But I want to talk a little bit <laughs> about the aforementioned Le'Veon Bell because we both had said at the time, because we had information that Adam Gase didn't want Bell and that if the Jets were going to get Bell, it was going to be over his objections. That's exactly what they did. And then as we talked about earlier, Gase's stubbornness played into part of why I think Le'Veon Bell wasn't used to his maximum potential. There were a variety of other factors, the offensive line, perhaps Bell himself has lost a step or two. I would like to see Mm -hmm. better use of him before I'm willing to make that judgment. But this offseason, there's been a lot of conjecture that Le'Veon Bell could be on the move. You would assume that if they're going to make that move, they'd have to eat some of that contract. Don't know exactly what they would even get back in return. What do you think is going to happen here? You think Le'Veon Bell is going to get moved? I mean, I think they're definitely going to shop him. I just don't think there's going to be as many takers, especially going into a draft where um, there's a lot of talented backs and they're going to, you know, they're going to be available in the second, third, and fourth round. So, yes, I think they will shop him and they would move him. Um, I just don't think it's as easy as people see make it seem. He didn't have remember in free agency, he didn't have a market at all. You know, he was really just kind of just, you know, shopping himself to the Jets and whoever else would come and pay more than the Jets would for him to go, and he never really got that offer. So um, it works in the Jets' favor and best interest to just make it right by Bell and do right by him and make him the focal point of the offense and have this head coach stop being such a dick and work it out and figure it out and find a way to make it work because he's so good and he's a game-changing player. I mean, you saw flashes of it and probably more – in the passing game than he did in the running game, even blocking, picking up blocks. He's so good at just like the little things where how do you not love a player like that as an offensive play caller? It just doesn't make any sense to me. So it's really frustrating to see Adam Gase take this stance and maybe it's being played out a little bit more in the media than it is internally because internally I didn't hear it was as bad as it was portrayed. Um, You know, Bell, was as good as a, good as a citizen as you can find, you know, good as a citizen he could be in such a rough year. Um, and even in the in the in the press conference, everybody makes a big deal of at the end of the year. Gase's words were minced a little, so I don't think it's as bad as people seem. But I do think Douglas, just because it's probably a smarter football decision, would look to shop him if a team comes along and offers a you know a fourth or fifth round pick, and the Jets have to eat a little bit of money to trade him. I think he would probably do it. Um, but I just don't think the market's going to be as heavy for Le'Veon Bell again another year into his career. Um, didn't have a good year, obviously. And again, with a deep running back draft, I don't think the market will be there. So I, I, I lean towards he'll be back, and I hope he is, and I hope they're smart enough to really make him the focal point of the offense and Gase can cut the like little stubbornness, like elementary school bullshit that he has going on with Bell and they can figure out a way to make it work, and the Jets can add some better running back depth behind Bell because, you know, Montgomery was pretty much a waste. Um, everybody loves Powell, but it's probably time to to improve, you know, whether – like, I would keep Bell and I would still draft one of these top running backs if they're there, you know, with the later third-round pick, like Dobbins, ETN. Um, there's so many, <clears throat> so many quality backs in this draft. Um, you know, so I would I would look to improve that, especially if – because this will be Bell's last year. They're able to get out of the contract next after next season. So 
Um, they'll need to improve on the running back spot going forward. And, you know, Gase likes to use two or three backs, which is fine. Um, so they will need to add some better, you know, add to the running back room. So I think, you know, gun to my head, I would say Bell is back just because I don't think there'll be that much of a market for him. Nick, let's take a look into the future. We're having this conversation again next year. What are we talking about in terms of what the Jets just did? What did the AFC East look like in 2020? What do you think? Where are we headed? I mean, I think things change so much if, if Tom Brady leaves. And, I mean, you just see a lot of people, like well-respected people in the media who have ties to New England and Brady saying it's such a possibility that he goes elsewhere. So if he does, like, the, the AFC East is up for grabs. Buffalo doesn't, you know, Buffalo's a, a solid team. They're, you know, anywhere between eight and ten wins, in my opinion. Miami, you know, they're, they're still in year two of the rebuild, which could be three or four years. And the Jets are really just that, like, wild card. Like, what is Sam Darnold next year? What is Adam Gase? Who do they add? Do they keep Jamal and Le'Veon? Or, you know, do they go in full rebuild mode um, again? But I believe so much in Sam Darnold, his his natural ability, and I think he's going to be the type of guy to win in spite of Adam Gase rather than win because of Adam Gase that I'm going to say – um, before any moves are made, I think he's going to make a big improvement in year three, and I think he'll get some pieces back. Like, I love the Herndon-Ryan Griffin tandem. Uh, Crowder, Bell, I think Joe Douglas knows enough to add one of these top receivers in the draft. Maybe it won't be Judy or Lamb, but maybe like a Jefferson or that next tier receiver like Higgins, um, and they'll, ha- they'll be a little bit more explosive, um, and they'll upgrade the offensive line that, like, why can't they win nine games next year and the AFC is so wide open that they should be, you know, last year I said they're anywhere between seven wins and ten wins. Seven if everything goes bad, ten if everything goes perfect. Um, everything went bad, as bad as it could be, and they still managed a way to win seven games. Not pretty, and some of the wins were shitty and whatever, but at the end of the day they did win seven. So next year, you know, probably – you know, again, we'll have this conversation, I'm sure, around the, after the draft where the team is a little bit more structured. Um, but, like, they should be able to improve another eight, between eight and ten wins next year, let's say. Um, and if those Patriot games aren't two automatic losses, you could be looking on the positive side of the, the eight wins rather than the, the negative side. So um, I'm just – I'm excited about Greg Williams. I'm excited about Sam Darnold. I'm excited about some of the younger pieces, even the depth players. Um, bless Austin, James Burgess, Shepard, who, you know, surprised all of us, Fatakasi last year, you know, getting some, some healthy bodies back and, you know, hopefully just keeping, you know, another year in the system is better for everybody. And, you know, as long as Adam Gates just doesn't kind of melt down and everything doesn't spiral out of control and, you know, next year Darnold doesn't come down with some crazy disease, we'll be fine. Um, so I'm a little more on the optimistic side than I am on the pessimistic side of things. And I think I just, I try again, I trust Darnold and I trust Greg Williams and I trust Joe Douglas. Unfortunately, I just don't have that trust that I wish I could say I did in Adam Gase. Um, and actually during the season, it really was more like a, like an enlightenment for me to admit how wrong I was on Adam Gase that I kind of even liked talking about it. Um, I kind of liked admitting that I was wrong about Gase, so it kind of felt refreshing. 
Um, so this year I would love to be wrong about being wrong about Adam Gates. So <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully next, you know, even hopefully in the spring, we're talking about a team where like, wow, Joe Douglas was able to do this. And, um, I think, you know, what, what Douglas and, you know, even give credit to Greg Williams did was he was able to, to develop and find some really nice, like middle of the roster depth pieces. Whereas if we lose a guy next year, again or another linebacker you're able to say all right well greg williams can mask that with with x you know so you do feel a little bit better whereas in the past with mccagnon and even tannenbaum like he was always doing this bottom of the roster tinkering which always happens but you know this year it feels like you have that coaching in place on the defensive side of the ball where if somebody gets hurt you're able to plug a piece in and you know williams is able to do so much with this his system that he's able to to really hide it. You did get a full season out of Marcus May, which is crazy. Nobody talks about really um, health wise. So um, that was important because you know, he didn't have a great year, but he's that like, like solidifying factor back there, which you really like to have, um, you know, so I do feel good about like that average, the average mark of the roster. Um, you know, let's say that like 22nd to 40th man on the roster being a lot better than it has been in the past. Um, and maybe that's all coaching or maybe that's a lot of these smaller moves that Douglas was able to, to make here and there. And I think he'll be able to, <clears throat> to do that going forward, you know, add more depth, which Philly was so good at, you know, a few years ago, especially on the defensive and offensive line. Um, he was able to add so much depth, even in the secondary, but Philly's secondary kind of fell apart this year due to injuries. But, you know, finding guys like, um, who's that, the corner that everybody, uh, LeBlanc a few years ago. You know, he was able to pick him off the waiver wire, and he played a huge part for the Eagles in the Super Bowl year. So, you know, Douglas being able to, you know, just because he's so anal and, and meticulous about scouting and how deep he goes and his connections around the league and stuff, so he's able to find waiver players and kind of plug them in, you know, and then get them to play some, some quality minutes for, for the team. Because obviously the roster goes past 53 every year, and there's always injuries and more some years more than others, but... I do feel good about that, and I feel good about where, like, the middle of the roster is. Now they just need some – unfortunately, they need the more important positions on, on the team, like those uh, premium positions, left tackle, edge rusher, corner. So, you know, if Douglas can really turn on to answer at least two of those questions this off season, you know, and continuing into next year, um, you know, I think we'll, we'll be on the right track. But, again, it's just uh, the head coach you just you can't feel great about. I don't know how many predictions that I could make right now that'll turn out to be accurate, but I'm fairly confident in this one. I don't think Sam Darnold's going to get mono again. I could be wrong, but I don't think that <laughs> Sam Darnold's going to get mono again. Nick Spano, the CEO of U Stadium, thanks so much for coming on again for the roundtable. Really appreciate it. I love U Stadium, but for those of you that are unfamiliar with the app, Go ahead, Nick, and tell them why they should sign up for U Stadium because I think it's awesome, especially if you're like us, a diehard football fan. It's tailored exactly to that. Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot of um, a lot of kind of uh, internal um, improvements on on the kind of trajectory of the app, and we really love the gamified aspect of of sports fans. So rather than Twitter and Instagram where you're creating all of this content, creating, 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 following along, liking, and really getting nothing out of it besides maybe building a brand for yourself in which, let's be honest, 90% of people who use social media really don't even have a brand at all. 
Um, it's that 10% that do that kind of control the entire conversation. So U Stadium, we really want we want the app and the experience to be about yourself as a sports, you know, analyst or, or, you know, whether you consider yourself a casual fan or someone who's as hardcore and wants to be right and have an opinion on everything the stadium is for you because you're rewarded for creating content, engaging in conversation. And we added a gamified polling live uh, game feel to it where you guess on polls and you earn points and you can turn those points into rewards. Um, we work with certain brands for, whether it's tickets, you can use your points to redeem for tick, uh, ticket gift cards, video games, um, subscriptions to like a pro football focus, football outsiders. Uh, you can use the points that you earn on the app from creating content or guessing correct on our polls, in which, you know, we put out free to enter every week. And, you know, if you don't have enough polls, you can, uh, points, you can buy the points. So let's say you get a $60 video game of Madden, you use, you know, 3,000 of your points that you earn and you get Madden for like 15 bucks. Um, we added that gamified slash store option to this, to the app and, you know, fans are loving it. And it's really just all day conversations. Um, turn your notifications on our push notifications are great. They're engaging, they're interactive. So, um, it's really just a, in my opinion, a much better conversation than you would have on a Twitter and obviously an Instagram, but, um, so we're really just trying to build a community of football fans on there and just give everybody, you know, what it is they're looking for, a place just to really talk about football. It's a great place to be because if you're like us and you're a huge football fan and if you're listening to this podcast, pretty good chance that that's the case. It's a fantastic app, so make sure you download the U Stadium app and start using it. Also, be sure to follow U Stadium on Twitter. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. Let's turn on the Jets digital and turn on the Jets.com.